Jackson State is altering how they're building their roster in 2024 as opposed to the last couple of years. And in my opinion, this is a change for the better. Oh, yeah, it's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and current contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off doesn't mean that the journey's over. Just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Starts with an S and ends with an S. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And FanDuel will make or help you make every moment more when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. And matter of fact, if you win your first $5 money line bet and you're new to FanDuel, you get $150 back in bonus bets. That's $150 back if your team wins we wrap up today's episode with a look at an interesting proposition by lsu women's basketball coach kim mulkey that might be beneficial to the southern jaguars in the second segment we'll look at why this whole texas southern fred mcnair andre johnson just this whole coaching fiasco should be over hopefully by the end of the week i think it will be over by the end of the week But prior to that, Jackson State is altering how they're building their roster. And I got this from Jackson State assistant head coach, Otis Ridley. Now, he spoke about how they were trying to go heavier with high school recruits than in the transfer portal this year. And I think this is a good thing. See, I have absolutely no problem with the transfer portal. I think that is very valuable. I know that there's split emotions on it. But for me, I think as much as HBCUs lose talent to the transfer portal. They get so much back that I'd be kind of, I think I'd be kind of viewing it from only one side to act like it was just the worst thing ever. HBCUs do get some good talent. And a lot of times you get some players who have been through collegiate programs already. Maybe they're ready to come and be a leader. They're a little bit more mature. Like you get certain qualities out of the transfer portal. However, I am not a fan of building your team that way. It's too volatile. Players that come in through the transfer portal, especially to the FCS level, I'm not certain that they won't leave through the transfer portal if they reach enough success quick enough. Like these are just things that go through my mind when you're looking at it. And also, I think it leads to kind of like college basketball where you have one and dones. When you have a lot of transfer portals, you can get a lot of one and dones. That's not consistency to me. I guess I'll put it like this, right? It's like garnish on your dish. It's there. I like it. Looks good. And it adds something, but it's not the whole dish. That's what the transfer portal is to me. And I think that's kind of what Coach Ridley was hinting at and talking about in this situation. Yes, 
you can find value and they found some guys they have specific roles they believe that some of the guys in the transfer portal that come in can be mentors i think that's how you said it and you know if i'm gonna get in the transfer portal i would go and grab a guy out of the portal like Isaiah guthrie which is what they did last year the way that he embraced jackson mississippi take the school out of it the way that he embraced jackson mississippi and hbcu media I think that spoke a lot to the character of the guy. It spoke a lot to the leadership qualities of the guy. I think that those are things, yeah, he might have been coming over from Delaware State, but you want to welcome him into your program. And he has multiple years that he can give you, which is something that you really want to get if you are going to get transfer guys. Because some transfer portal guys get four years, right? They come in, they redshirt their freshman year at wherever their school was, and then they leave, and now they have four years to give to you if they decide to stay. So with that, <clears throat> with that being said, you still want to look at high schoolers because that's foundation is what Coach Ridley called a culture guy. And I can point at the things that are valuable in the portal, but the culture is different when you get a guy out of high school and you think you're recruiting him to be there for four years. Yes, he might leave in the portal. Right. But Coach Ridley also touched on that when talking about you can never stop recruiting your players because of the portal. They can always leave. So you have to always make sure that your players seem valued or feel valued, I should say. Right. These are all aspects that to me, at least. Are facts like, like as much of a fact as this can be, because some of this is subjective as far as which side I'd rather pick and how I handle the team. But this is facts. This is how I would handle it if I was in Coach Ridley's position. But the reason I think that this is a positive change is because you can no longer afford to do it. That I don't think this is team building the proper way, right? So you can no longer afford to do it. You look at 2021, 2022, with Dion there, you could kind of afford to live and die by the transfer portal because you know what kind of kind of uh, gravity that he provided, the way that he could just pull people in, his magnetism. You knew that that would happen on a year in and year out basis, especially at Jackson State while they were winning. Right. You combine his personality with Jackson State winning. They were always going to be a transfer portal destination. So, yes, you can kind of afford to live and die by it, live and die by it when he's on the sidelines. But OK, he's kind of one on one in that situation. Then you bring in T.C. Taylor in his first year and everybody departed. It was a mass departure for the Jackson State Tigers. Now you kind of have to go in and go heavy in the transfer portal. So the first two years, you're looking at 21, 22, you could afford it. 23 kind of felt like you had to. Now going into 24, we're going to establish some, some continuity. We're going to establish some sort of stability and foundation with our culture guys. I love that term, culture guys right and you look at the 21 here's the thing though you look at the 21 recruits that they brought in in the transfer portal or excuse me in the early signing day 11 of them were transfer portal guys which means it's basically half and half but the edge does go to the transfer portal now i'll be looking closely at february because now you'll have all of the high school seniors at your disposal to be recruited, not just the ones who are going to be in spring practice, right? So I almost kind of feel as if, I almost feel as if the, the spring semester guys, the guys who are going to be there, that's okay to have a heavy population of transfer portal additions. 
But when you get to national signing day, not early signing day, but national signing day, that's when I want to start getting my high school seniors. That's when I want to start getting my culture guys. That's when I want to start building my foundation. And I saw what a foundation could do out there in Durham, North Carolina, because North Carolina Central built their team with certain pieces, that first recruiting class, and it led up into an HBCU championship in year three. Now, as we move forward, another person who's going to need to decide what their recruiting strategy is going to be is Fred McNair or Andre Johnson, because we're not sure who's going to be the Texas Southern head coach. But it's my prediction that we find out by Friday, by Friday, and I'm hoping Thursday, and I'll tell you why as you continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, and FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. My pals ain't doing too well, but John ja Morant is going crazy, and that's my favorite player, right? So two of his four victories since returning have been against the Pelicans. Boo to that. But I think that Ja is going to go ballistic, and I would tell you to put a lot of money down on Ja. Maybe you want to look at the NFL, NFL MVP odds. I would put my money on Lamar Jackson. I think that that's who's going to be the MVP, especially after his Christmas Day performance. You can put money down on all of these things, collegiate basketball, pro basketball, collegiate football, pro football, hockey, baseball. Um, baseball not in right now. What's the other one? Oh, it's hockey. So you can, you can bet on all of these things at FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel and you win a $5 money line bet, you get $150 back in bonus bets. That's $150 back in bonus bets if your team wins. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day. Remember to check out the 24-7 Locked on Sports Today podcast. Stream the first of its kind. Just wait for other people to copy it. But just remember who did it first. Um, I want to look at Texas Southern. And I know it may seem a little bit tiresome to continue to revisit this subject. But we've had so many updates along the way. We've gone through so many. It could be this person. It could be this person. It's that person. But that person wasn't approved. But now it feels like we have another opportunity to finally decide or <clears throat> to finally find out. Because when I say we, I'm actually not talking about Texas Southern as, you know, my alma mater. I'm saying us as, as HBCU fans, we finally have an opportunity to kind of See what's going to be the case. Is it going to be Fred McNair? Is it going to be Andre Johnson? That's what we kind of have. The, we finally have that situation because, <clears throat> excuse me, on Thursday morning, there will be a Board of Regents meeting for this topic. And you need to have it solved in this meeting. I would say it needs to be public by Friday. I would. That's That's what I would say because... Thursday, I think it was 8 a.m. By some point on Friday, we should know who the coach is going to be. At the worst Saturday, if we go into the new year and Texas Southern does not have a coach, this is a failure. I think that we are reaching a point where if this meeting doesn't decide who's going to be the coach, we can't deny that they don't know what they're doing. It looks like the school 
is dysfunctional. But if they continue to push this further and further down the can, uh, down the, the road and you just keep kicking that can, kicking that can, it's going to end up being undeniable. Undeniable. I mean, you would have, I don't think you can form a compelling argument that they're not dysfunctional if this continues to not work. It seems to me that it's very clear who are the two candidates on the table and whoever is going to be is going to be scrutinized heavily, even if it's Fred McNair, especially if it's Andre Johnson. I've said it multiple times. I, I haven't said this part. I actually I'm kind of bothered by the Andre Johnson thing because. To me, it kind of feels like he thinks it's going to be easy. It doesn't feel like he wants to come in and do something for Texas Southern. I feel like he thinks it's going to be easy because to me, if you wanted to do something for TSU and you've expressed your interest, this is what I would do if I were the Tigers. I would hire Fred McNair as my head football coach, and I would see if I can put Andre Johnson on the staff as a wide receiver coach, as a recruiting coordinator, because look, he's played high school or he's played wide receiver at a high level. Okay, I got you. You take the high level that Johnson has played at wide receiver and you combine it with his status in the city, then you can bring in the recruiting. The reason people want Andre Johnson to be the head coach of Texas Southern, those who do, is because the recruiting boost. And TSU is kind of at a place where it's like, it can't hurt. And I agree. I don't think that hiring Andre Johnson can hurt you because of where you've been over the last couple of decades. I just don't think it can hurt you. However, I'm more confident that Fred McNair will help you. And that's the difference. That's why I want McNair, the established nature. I'm trying not to dive fully into the qualifications, but it's an, almost impossible to have this conversation without at least dipping your toe into it. Andre Johnson hasn't coached. How confident can I be that he's going to take TSU to another level? But you know what I can be confident in? That his status in the city of Houston would attract high-level talent. I can be confident. I think Quay Davis is still there. I think that he would help Quay Davis ascend to another level. I think he would help those, those wide receivers become really good. If you really wanted to help Texas Southern, if you really wanted to earn coaching stripes, Andre Johnson should not be opposed to being a part of the coaching staff. It just shouldn't have to be as the head coach. And that's one of the things that, you know, it's a two-man race. It's not Ed Reed. But people keep bringing up Ed Reed and why does he do it? He wants to be a head coach. He could go elsewhere and be a coach. Maybe he can't go elsewhere and be a head coach, but he wants to be a head coach. I think he also wants to be involved with HBCUs as well, but I feel very confident in saying he wants to be a head coach, and that's why he keeps pushing this button. We've heard three people be connected to this job. Fred McNair, he was supposed to be hired, but they can't confirm on a contract or if they even want to give this man a contract, regardless of the money. Then you have Andre Johnson, who seems to be the – alternate option for those who are a little bit hesitant about Fred McNair. Those are the only two options. They the only two who've actually been connected to the Tigers. Ed Reed just connected himself. Doesn't seem like he's really in the picture for those who wanted an update on that. But overall, you've been having this up in the air for about two weeks. It feels like Fred McNair has been very heavily connected to Texas Southern for about two weeks, at least a week and a half because the Celebration Bowl happened a week and a half ago and he was connected then. But you're looking at two weeks of everybody kind of knowing Fred McNair was going to be the hire, but it still has yet to happen. 
you still haven't pulled that trigger. So I would have to ask, what's the compelling argument to say that TSU is not dysfunctional if they can't get this decided by the second Board of Regents meeting that'll happen Thursday morning? Hopefully we have an answer on Thursday and I can come talk about it on Friday. If not, trust and believe that will be the lead segment either Monday or Tuesday. Like, like I'm, I'm still thinking about how I'm going to do the New Year's episode. But as we move forward, <clears throat> let's look at Kim Mulkey. Speaking of the new year, this could be something that happens in late 2024. LSU, Southern, not football this time, but women's basketball. But the venue is the same. Tiger Stadium? I'm a little bit interested. You piqued my interest there, Moki. That's wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. I appreciate you for making this your first listen of the day every day, making it all the way to segment three, and I thank you two times for that. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we've looked at some big-time conversations. We looked at Texas Southern coaching staff. We looked at how the Jackson State coaching staff is altering how they're building their team. These are two things that are really big, but this might be the biggest deal of them all, honestly. Kim Mulkey is talking about LSU versus Southern in Tiger Stadium women's basketball. Not in the arena, not in the PMAC, right? Not in the Pete Maravich, not, not there. We're talking about in Tiger Stadium, in Death Valley, where the football team plays. This will be monumental. Now, this is just discussion. This is just possibilities. This is just brainstorming. I'll be very clear. But this happened last week, and we didn't get a chance to get to it. I wanted to bring it back, though, because <clears throat> LSU women's basketball coach, head coach, Kim Mulkey, has discussed LSU and Southern playing in Tiger Stadium in Death Valley and that's a lot. So let's back it up to the teams themselves who recently showed down for the first time ever. LSU had never played Southern until two years ago. And that's crazy. They're, they're, they're right there. And part of me wants to look at the relationship with HBCUs in the same city. Like the only ones that I can think of is Tallahassee with FAMU and, and, um, and Florida State. And then Baton Rouge with Southern and LSU like that's it's just it's interesting to me but they don't meet often LSU in, in in Southern they've only met one time and it was two years ago for the first time in football history the basketball team's a little bit better you know the women's basketball team's a little bit better with how many HBCUs that they schedule but overall this isn't even a Moki decision Moki can talk about it and she says she's talked to the AD but I, this is an AD decision at the end of the day the athletic director is going to be the person who either co-signs or denies this. Moki can think as good as she wants, but there's a lot of things. She says she wants Southern to keep the proceeds. Okay, I love this. I love this, right? But anyway, back to the to the scheduling because Southern and LSU showed down for the first time in football a year ago. Then LSU followed it up by playing Grambling the next year, which was this year right now, 2023. Maybe this is a sign that they're more more open to these things. The LSU women's basketball. Uh, team has played an HBCU in each of the last three seasons, at least one. This past season, they played Mississippi Valley. They played Texas Southern, and they played, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think about who they played this year. Oh, in Coppin State, right, because Angel Reese just returned home, and that's where these statements were even made. 
So it'll be kind of in line for Southern to do this. But if they were able to get this opportunity, Southern should jump at it with one caveat. I want the ability to move the game inside. It's not often that you're going to see basketball on the collegiate or professional level played outside. As far as men's go, they played, they had four scheduled games in 2020, no, 2012. Only two were played, and they didn't do it again until 2022. This is not something that's frequent. They had a women's basketball game in a football stadium in October of this year. So it's happened, but it's very rare. And that's because weather, right? Like not even just the wind. That's a beautiful day. But sometimes you've had rain. And depending on when you schedule it, you run the risk of having some rain in Baton Rouge. And once that happens, the game has to get canceled. You don't get any of the funds. And then it was just like a wasted moment. But then also, will they really give you all the funds? If they give you all the funds, I'm taking and saying, hey, can we move the game inside if you can't? That might be a difficult thing because you got to build up the the uh, the floor and in Tiger Stadium. But you get over 100,000 people there. And if it goes off well, a lot of people are going to show up. Southern's going to pop out. H, uh, uh, LSU is going to pop out. Like It's going to be a big deal. It is. And then you would be able to bring in a lot of money. So I would take it if I were Southern. That's just me, though. I would take that if I was Southern. Once again, this is Moki just brainstorming. This hasn't been brought to Southern. She hadn't talked to no Southern officials about it. This was her after the game against Coppin State. And it was her saying, I would like to do this. And she specifically said, allow Southern to take all the proceeds. I would assume especially seeing that there's no travel cost, you in the same city, right? I would assume that allowing Southern to take all of the proceeds from this game would probably end up paying out more than whatever LSU would have paid for them to just play the game inside. I would assume that is the case. She said that she's trying to plan this out to be next year, or she's pitching this to be next year. Probably won't be next year, maybe be 2025. But whenever this were to happen, it would be instantly a big deal. LSU versus Southern is a city big deal. Baton Rouge is going to go crazy for that. But for you to put this in Death Valley, for you to put this in Tiger Stadium, this is next level. And it's something that I would love to see. And then you top on the money aspect of it. Oh, my gosh. But speaking of inner city HBCU PWI relations, Things ain't looking too good between Florida A&M and Florida State. Well, I guess it's depending on how you look at it because FAMU's racking up the talent, but the talent's getting a lot of blowback. So let's look at some of that on tomorrow's episode. Just the FAMU Florida State pipeline or the Florida State to FAMU pipeline, I guess I really should say. So let's look at that on tomorrow's episode. But in the meantime, in between time, until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Hey.